My name's Darren Pugh, also known as Daz or Pewy. I'd like to have had a cute punk name, like Chimp, Muppet, Toad, Ferret and, and all the rest of them. But yeah, so I was, I was pretty much known as Daz uh, and I was born in 1965. Yeah, OK, so, uh, I mean, we always had a bit of music in the family. Mum used to uh, always have Radio 2 on, pot in the kitchen. Uh, obviously, there was no punk, but whatever my mum liked, I sort of liked so I had an older brother, Wayne, he was a couple of years older. And uh, so we we had uh, the pistols, never mind the bollocks. Uh, but we, to be honest, all, all us lot were arse end of punk. It had already sort of merged into New Wave. And there was loads of other great sorts of music going, you know, two-tone specials and stuff like that. And lots of other countercultures with skinheads. Uh, it was the new romantics, but yeah, going back a bit. So we had never mind the bollocks. What what a you know monumental album. But it already probably been out two or three years by then. By the time we had it, and Wayne had some great singles. You know more new wave stuff. Uh, the likes of the Jam, Blondie, Ian Jury, Elvis Costello, bit Generation X. Uh, I think the first the first album that really. Uh, for me, was uh, Stiff Little Fingers, uh, flammable material. Uh, I remember Wayne was going to see him in Emma Lampstead. I wasn't old enough to go to that, so I was a bit gutted. My first single, my first cool single, I'd had some crappy records when we were younger and that, but my first single, which again was a bit later on in the punk thing, was uh, Happy House, Susie and the Banshees. My first gig... I should have done a bit of research on this. Uh, I think I was 14, was at Lord Grey School. It was Dave Paul, Sean Finnis. I'd have to check on this, and if anyone knows it, I think Chris Baker was singing, and uh, was it Pasco on the bass, who they both went on to be part one. So that was uh, the first gig. And I bought my first guitar. I used to follow Dave Paul around a bit because he was the older, cool punk down the road. And I used to tag along and I bought my first guitar off him. It was a Rapier 33, it was called. And I bought it off Dave for a fiver. And I was relegated out into the garden shed. And I had this little practice amp because there was the Marshalls amplification shop down in Bletchley at the time. And they did this cheaper range called Mr Twang. So I had this little practice amp called the Mr Twang and I used to sit out in the garden, make a right old racket. And uh, so that was pretty much the, the, the start of that. Uh, when we first started to come together collectively was school. Uh, you know, the likes of uh, Gaz, Pete, Cy, and if I miss anyone, 40, everyone in the year above and in my year there was Tell and and Mick Lee, and, and Chimp in the year below, and Cy, of course. And we all come together, and, you know, we love punk. And then we sort of knew you, and we used to go around your flat. Uh, I remember taking you come in school one afternoon so we could show you off, and piss the teachers off. You know, it was a great time. I mean, music in general around that, I know people say it, but music in general was better. You've got the lights of all your new wave stuff, to jam and... Blondie and stuff like, you know, general chart music was just better. You had a bit of Kate Bush, you know, Yuri and Jewelry. It, it was just great. 
So the good thing about that was you could go back. All the stuff you'd missed out on the early stuff, you could go back, you know, the first Damned album. I probably never heard that till like three years later. You know, I was blown away. It was brilliant. I remember my English teacher, Mr Vines, uh, and my art teacher. He, he was a bit of a shadow's free. He was like, oh, I'll bring guitar in. And they play it a little bit, and I'm, you know, I was showing off because I had a guitar, even though I couldn't play it. Uh, yes, yeah, the teachers were all right, really. It was when we started dressing as punks, uh, which is uh, brings me on to the leather jacket thing. The go-to accessory was the biker leather jacket, so we could look like Sid Vicious and the Ramones, even though we had ginger wavy hair at the time. That didn't really matter. You know, later on, I'd bleach it and straighten it out a bit with half a bar of soap. It was around that time, things were getting a bit tense at home. So we sort of half left and half got thrown out. And uh, we was going up Derwent Youth Club a lot of the time. And by this time, we'd left school. Derwent was amazing, you know, some of the best times ever. But at this point, we were, we were squatting in empty council properties. And then... And then we ended up uh, living in a van around the back of the youth club for a while. And uh, there was all the great gigs going on at the youth club and stuff. Uh, and all the bands that we was in as well, you know. Every other week we'd start a new band between me, Chell, Gaz, Scouse, <coughs> Geordie, Pete, Cy. And if I've missed anyone, you know... Uh, yeah, and it was such a good scene. And then we sort of got into the, more the underground scene. There was the uh, infamous crass gigs at the Roadmender, uh, you know, which was, was fantastic. And, it, and it was always a bit edgy because, you know, there was a, a lot of other stuff going on at the time. And just generally there was uh, quite, quite a violent time in culture with the skinheads. And so uh, <clears throat> back, back to the leather jackets. Uh, a little bit earlier, me and Wayne both got uh, leather jackets for Christmas and uh, we were chuffed a bit, so they weren't cheap. Even back then, they was like 50-odd quid. We had, a, I had, we had a day out in London. It was me and Bogdall. We did the tourist bit, you know, it was like early. It was probably 1980, 81 by then. And we did the tourist bit up Carnaby Street, getting studded wristbands and, and uh, badges and stuff. We had a good day out, and we was we were sat in Victoria Coach Station, just waiting for our coach. The place was packed, people everywhere. We sat there minding their own business, and these two bloody scary-looking characters come walking past, and one of them just smacked Bogdall in the face. Yeah, these two boneheads, and Bogdall could look after himself a bit, but we was obviously out of our league here, and. Uh, he said, well, where are you from? And we said, oh, Bletchley, Milton Keynes. He's like, who? Because no one had really heard of Milton Keynes back then. I said, oh, it's near Northampton. He's like, oh. And then they turned to me and said, oh, I like your jacket, mate. Because it had the angelic upstarts with the, the copper with the shotgun with the sensor thing, which obviously appealed to them because they had a bit of a skinhead following. And uh, so he said to me, he said, oh, can I... Oh, let's try your jacket on, mate. And I said, no chance, pal. And then within the blink of an eye, he's got a, pulled out a blade, he's held it up to my face and said, no, really, I want to try your jacket on. And, uh, you know, if it had just been fisticuffs, I might have stu stood my ground, but no, I handed the jacket over. I must have been 16. 
And I was gutted. We got home and I felt so ashamed. Like, I really, oh, I'm sorry, Dad, really let you down. Don't be daft, you know, you could have got hurt. And, uh, but as it happens, Wayne, my brother, he jumped ship a little while, well, little further down the road. He become a skinhead and uh, give me his old jacket. So that brilliant picture of me and Chimp, still about 16, round his house. That was Wayne's old leather. Yeah, so uh, that was the leather jacket reinstated. Because I've always loved playing music. I was uh, played the guitar first, so I would play the guitar in a lot of these bands like the youth club. We used to practice in Scouse's garage. I think it was Odge, at this point, it was Odge on the bass, uh, Scouse singing, me on the guitar, and Mole on the drums. But Mole's, like, painfully shy. He could have been a great drummer, you know. And we go, one, two, three, four, and I'll just sit there with this silly face. It was funny at first, but then it got a bit boring. So I'm like, give me them sticks here. I jumped on the drums, had a little chap along, and uh, the rest, as they say, is history. Yeah, but I love I loved drumming. Yeah, so I started playing the drums after that. Uh, there was B-Neal days. I think I had a little kit there, and we used to just jam in the front room, me, Pete, and his brother Tony, and whoever else happened to turn up. But then we lived up 12 Sterling in Bletchley, me, Pete, Toad and Fordy. Brilliant, fun days. And I remember I got my first decent kit off of Soggy. And uh, before I knew it, bloody Jeffs and Sean Finnis had turned up and said, uh, oh, we've got a tour with Conflict, tour in the West Country, and Andy's had to pull out, will, will you drum for us? And I was like, bloody hell, you know, what an opportunity for a 17, 18-year-old. I mean, I'd only been playing literally five minutes. So we used to go up Pear Tree and uh, practice so I could learn the songs as best I could in the short time we had. And uh, so we did. We went off and we played Portsmouth, Plymouth, Brighton. Uh, no, Brighton was a separate gig supporting the uh, Subhumans, which was fantastic. But we played the Isle of Wight. We played this, like, theatre on the on the pier uh, in Shanklin on the Isle of Wight and I remember Jeff's coming up to me and saying Des I don't mean to freak you out but the uh, the word is the Portsmouth skinheads uh, are going to do you <laughs> I, I liked them they, they was cool you know they were terrifying but all they had their tops on they were the same age all they had their tops off and tattoos and cute skinhead girlfriends and there was herds of them so I was I was strangely flattered and complimented that they because I was getting attention because I looked a bit like them at the time I had short hair I wasn't really that punky at the time Levi jacket I'm greens Dr Martins so I assume they you know if they was going to do me it was because they liked me really you know I was cool I was in the band then and uh so it transpired I don't know how it panned out but I didn't get beaten up but they did kick off and they trashed the gaff and uh, we was, I was in conflict in this other band, Vex, I think that was called. We were supposed to sleep on in that theatre on uh, that night. And the manager said, you can all, you know, sling your hook because the place got smashed up and that. So we was outside on the seafront and some lads took the front off of this little wooden seafront shack. Of course, everyone's diving in there, raiding all the donuts and stuff. And then before we knew it, uh, there was police everywhere. We got put in the back of the meat wagon uh, was on the way to the station. I had a little bit of blow in my pocket, so I sort of panicked and I put that under the seat. 
and then we'd been in the station about 10 minutes just sort of getting questioned and you know and this copper come bowling in because i must have checked the van he's gone right whose blow is it if you don't tell us we'll chuck you on parkhurst with reggie cry <laughs> it was brilliant and uh so i never confessed and they didn't throw us in parkhurst but uh, I do remember it was just a wooden bench and I had Dave's feet stuck in my face all night, which was a fate worse than being in Parkhurst with Reggie Cray, I'll tell you. And, uh, yeah, it was just such a such a great memory of, uh, you know, being on tour. But, but what I got... I, I played my little arse off. I, what, I think what I lacked in experience, I made up for in spirit. You know, it, it was such a good experience and I, I was eternally grateful. I mean, it was big boots to fill because Andy was a great drummer, great guy. Uh, I, th- I think he just had a bit of travel sickness, if I remember, you know, and he uh, he just couldn't do that particular tour. So I, I just stood in, did my best and it was it was good fun. So, yeah, well, it was pretty much one, once we'd left school and and we'd done, we were still sort of based at Derwent Youth Club, but we was old enough to go out and get a drink now. So we'd go to the starting gate with all the new romantics, sniffing their poppers and having a great time, you know. Uh, it wasn't our music, but it didn't matter, you know. Uh, and it turned out, I didn't find out till just recently, through Chimp, that the guy playing most of the music back then was Eddie Richards, who later would be a big part of the uh, DJ house music scene. So, uh, yeah, so we used to go out the start gate. There was a Rosen Castle. The Rosen Castle was good. We had some good memories up there, but that was always a bit edgy. It was, all, it was always sort of watching your back, you know. And, uh, of course, there was the Compass Club. Uh, we used to go over to Bossard Hall. You know, Milton Keynes had a good thriving music scene. There was always something going on somewhere. Um, the first London gig, I had to think about this. Because I, I was sort of remembering the big venues uh, with the Damned and the Ramones and things like that. But no, I think that our very first London gig was Ethnic Minority at the King's Head in Fulham. I think that was the first one. And we all went down in a minibus. And I think Scouse got really drunk and kicked off a bit that night, if I'm not mistaken. And the second one, which was, uh, was Exit Stance in Brixton uh, in this railway arch... And it was just after the Brixton riots. And the atmosphere down there was just, oh, you know, you could cut it with a knife. All the pubs had, like, chicken wire across the bar because it had really kicked off there big time, which it needed to. You know, that did need to happen because it was this old-style life on Mars policing. What they were getting away with was terrible. And that did change because of that. But I do remember that. Um, so we was in these pubs and you get these old boys there, poor pie, hey man, come downstairs to the basement and try my weed, you know, is the best. But we was a bit scared, really, because of the atmosphere. But we was on their side and I think they knew that, you know. So that that was the, I think that was my first memory of going to London for gigs. And like I say, after that, it was things like the Damned and the Ramones. Always a guarantee, good night out in a big venue, you know. It was fantastic. Yeah, so that was... Uh, yeah, that's pretty much the the journey, really. A diluted version of it. Well, I've, I've always been punk in spirit, you know, and it, the ethos. Uh, it always stuck with me. I've never really worked for the man. I've always sort of pretty much, pretty much worked for myself. You know that do do it yourself attitude, which is great, especially these days. You can be an entrepreneur. You can start a 
a, an empire sitting on the end of your bed, just like you used to be able to start a band by, and still can, you know, sitting on the end of your bed practicing. And uh, yeah, it sort of went through. Luckily enough, you know, we was a little bit older, uh, young to be at the beginning of the punk. So come nineteen eight, yeah, the mid eighties was to me it was the doldrums. Uh, It'd been so magical leaving school, going out into the world, bands, having the best time. Come the mid-80s, it was, you know, it's my subjective opinion. Everything, just, I was in a challenging relationship. Music, just, even the great bands weren't putting out their best work. I think from the end of 84 to the end of 87, it, it was just a bit grim, really, you know. Uh, I was in a band... Even that was a bit of a musical direction, the Jive Pilots. I'd, I'd been playing in a band with Ferret, uh, just doing punk covers. Uh, I can't remember where we was, we was practicing. And we was just doing it purely for fun. And Ferret was brilliant. He was good at doing punk covers. And, uh, and one day, uh, Phil Hughes and Alan Kenthorne just turned up. And they said, oh, we're putting the band together and we want you to drum for us. And they pretty much frogged much me off to go and be in this other band. I was quite happy. And it was the Jaya Pilots and Cybers on the guitar. I think Geordie was involved with it in the early days. Uh, and, OK, we was going for more, you know, music had changed. We was, uh, new musical direction was trying to be a bit killing jokey, I think, musically. Uh, I always wanted Al Kenforn to sing to front the band but we advertised and we got this guy Mike uh, no disrespect to Mike love him he was a lovely lovely guy and we did go on to have such a great time but he was a bit of a rock man and it it didn't really gel with me the style of singing although the music was great yeah it was uh but we had the best time we, we played everywhere. We had a great time. Uh, I think the last gig I ever played before I was sacked, because me and Phil by this time weren't getting on too well, bless him, uh, was the Mean Fiddler supporting the Blues Collective. You know, wow. It, you know, what a bunch of fun. It was just brilliant. And uh, But the mid-80s was a bit dire. But we, luckily enough, come 88, everything seemed to... There was a lot of fresh energy. There was the Manchester scene, Happy Mondays. There was dance, I mean, I didn't like all of it. There was dance music, there was all these new indie bands, the Manchester scene. So, uh, yeah, so we were still only 23 in, in 88 with all this new stuff happening. But uh, and just before that happened, I used to have a Bedford CF, which was like the equivalent of the uh, crappy Ford Transit. <coughs> that was quite sexy, it was a bit curvy, they, they looked a bit American. And I loved it. I had two of them. And uh, I was also into karate at the time. I liked it, you know, after all the mushrooms. And I was a bit unhinged from all the uh, mushroom days and acids and stuff like that. It made me feel really calm and grounded. And I really loved it. And uh, I used to get the martial arts magazines. And there would always be something in there about J.J. Burnell, the bass player at the Stranglers. Uh, and he had this school down in the south of France. So I thought, do you know what, I'm going to go down there, you know, turn up. Because of the karate, I wouldn't look like a music stalker. And just see if I could train with him, just stay for a few weeks, get somewhere to stay in that. And, uh, yeah, well, you know, go and train karate with uh, JJ Bennell. 
lo and behold, about a few days before I was due to chip off, uh, me, Mo and Chimp was just driving up Buckingham Road, getting ready to turn into Chester Close. It was my fault. Uh, Dan's, look out, bang. An altercation with a Nissan Bluebird. It it was quite a smash as well. It could, you know, a blessing that no one got hurt. Uh, you know, the guy in the other car as well. It was right, but so the van was written off, and uh, lo and behold, uh, so I never got to go in South France and train, train with JJ Vanell, one of my favourite bass players of all time, in the coolest, yeah. And Paul Simmerman from The Clash, you know, super cool looking, but really good bass player. You'd only learn a couple of years later when you're getting into, yeah, do you know strings play left centre? No, no way. Oh, God, if I'd only been there, you know. But, yeah, it was just a time. Yeah, I was in the doldrums and so was music. Music reflected that, you know. And I was 20. Yeah, I was having a baby when I was 20. So we'd be down Ray Zell's nightclub, getting, getting ready to do a gig. Uh, and then the, the the over the channel it become Darren Pugh, there's a phone call for your reception, it was another false alarm and I had to shoot off and we we, we wasn't really together properly, but it doesn't matter, you know, it was it weren't weren't the best time. Uh but Zara's thirty eight now and she's sound and she's the best thing ever, you know, of course. But uh yeah, back then I was only twenty, you know. I wasn't particularly grown up and uh it was it was a it was a time that was a little bit stressful at the time. Uh, to think for myself and not be a part of mainstream consciousness and get dragged along by it, you know, go and do a job, work to 65 or whatever it is, retire, hang around for a bit and die. Especially nowadays, like we were saying, it's so easy to uh, set up and do your own thing, you know, and be, be an entrepreneur and add value to people's lives. I mean, I'm, I, I teach meditation and, and Tai Chi. You know, it helps people to feel better in themselves. It's a great thing. Uh, you know, it's still a work in progress. I've got a website. It's uh, Zenergy Meditation. So it's uh, energy spelt with an IE. But but the idea behind it is doing your own thing and not... And I'm sort of helping other people to be in flow, flow mode rather than survival mode, which most people are, you know, because life is difficult can be really hard if if you let it get you but and it's, it's all part of the punk ethos still for me is to just do your own thing be happy enjoy life love people love life i've had some great little opportunities for it you know and life is good you know i'm grateful love life